0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. All right, this morning, I am encourage you to take out your Bible and turn with me to Jonah, the book of Jonah, beginning in chapter 4 today. We're going to actually begin in chapter 3, verse 10. That's where we left off last week. Jonah chapter four, or chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. And for those of you that are joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thanks for being here with us. You know, we've been on this journey as we've come through over the past four weeks. And now that our fifth week, we're looking at the book of Jonah. I'm excited that we get a chance to grapple with this difficult text this morning. This is not an easy text for us to deal with, especially if we see ourselves in the position of Jonah. As we've kind of walked through this whole series, we've tried to put ourselves in his position and in his his seat, and today we're going to continue to do so. And we must make the confession at the outset. I must make the confession on the outset that I find myself being Jonah more times in my life than I'd like to. So as we grapple with this text today, may we allow ourselves and allow the Spirit to convict us. My prayer is today that we would feel convicted, not in a way that would lead us to run away from God, but that we would see God's glorious and his matchless grace that has been so poured out on us that we are able to stand every single day because of God's grace. And that we would not see God as an oppressive God, but we would see him as a caring one that has given us this space and time so that we may live on mission. All right, let's jump into the text today. We're going to begin in verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in my country? This is why I made haste to go flee to Tarshish, for I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sent to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. There he sat in the shade till he should see what the Lord would do and what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be of shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun to bear down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did not make it grow which came into being in in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You know, one of the things that shocks me, shouldn't shock me, but one of the things that I've discovered about human nature is that as humans, we want mercy, but we want everyone else to receive judgment, right? We want mercy in our lives, but we want everyone else to receive judgment. Let me put it in just a real context of something that took place this week. Just yesterday, I was driving down the road and I found myself going a little fast. Happens sometimes. I was driving down the road fast and all of a sudden I blow by this cop car going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. And you know the feeling that you get, like that sunkenness in your gut where you're like, so you slow down, you take your foot off the gas and you kind of put it on the brake and you're nervously looking in the rear of your mirror to see if those lights start shining and you get down the road about half a mile and you're like, whew, dodge that one, Right? Then 15 miles down the road, you're driving 15 miles down the road past, and then you're going the speed limit now, and some idiot comes by you blasting by 15 miles over the speed limit, and you're like, Where are the police when you need them? Right? Isn't that in our heart? Like, we want mercy, but we want everyone else to receive justice. This is evil in the heart of men. This evil lives deep in your heart and lives deep in my heart. And God forbid that it it rears its ugly head in our lives. As recipients of God's mercy, should we not be sharers of God's love and mercy? This week I was reading about the Lutheran minister, Henry Jarrick. Who in nineteen forty-six had spent some time in Germany where he had been sharing life and been discipling some prisoners, and one of the prisoners that he came across was Johann von Rippenthorpe. And Johann was a man that was at a time served as a a leader in Hitler's army. And it's been known that he, now at this time, when when he meets this minister, uh, Johan has just been found guilty of heinous war crimes against humanity. Some of the most heinous war crimes that rivaled that of the evil Egyptians or the evil Assyrians of time before. And over the course of time, Jarek spends time with this prisoner and several others. And over the course of the time, he shares the love of Jesus with Jarek. And on this morning, on October 16th, 1946, as Jarek is walking with him to the gallows to be hung, he asks him, what's one thing, what's one last words that you have? And this is what he said. He says, I place all of my confidence in the lamb who made atonement for my sins. May God have mercy on my soul. And then he turned to Jarek and he says, I'll see you again. The black hood was then placed over his face, the noose around his neck, and the floor dropped out beneath him. Here is this Nazi war criminal who has just died and over time had come to know Christ. And it's been told that Jarek had been in contact with eight other Nazi war criminals that also came to faith in Christ. It's an amazing story of God's grace, right? God takes someone who has done heinous crimes and saves them, right? And God used this minister in the lives of these men that have had broken lives and men's lives that were so full of darkness now that they are restored, and this should be a story of redemption, it should be a story of a celebration, but it's not. For when Jared came back to America, you know how he was treated? You would think that he would be treated as, as a hero, as someone that is, has uh, sought the life and mercy of God and the lives of other people, but when he came back, he became the target of vicious abuse and violent threats. After he died, his oldest son was going through um, one of the files that was in his desk and and he found this stack of letters of all of this hate mail towards his father where his father was continually called a, a Jew hater, a Nazi lover, we see here again in the lives of people, those that, that want mercy or need mercy, but then want justice. Is it possible for a Nazi vile war criminal to repent? Is it possible for someone so evil and so heinous to, be, to repent and receive forgiveness you know, we, in this world, we know that, that everyone sins, right? Everyone sins. But, but we have this way of saying that there are sins and then there are sins, right? And somehow we, we want to sit on the throne and we want to be people that judge like people from one another. We want to sit and parse out who's good and who's bad, who's right and who's wrong. And when we try to sit in that place, we find ourselves sinning to be the judge of people is not what god has called us to do but here's a truth is that extreme expression of redemption often arouses extreme reactions of resentment i'll say that again extreme expression of redemption often arouses extreme reactions of resentment When we see the grace of God pouring out on someone that doesn't deserve it, it makes us angry. But when we experience the grace of God pouring out on our lives, it makes us worshipful. And this is the tension that we see in the passage today. And I want to ask us today, I really want us to ask ourselves the question today as we look at this passage, how do you respond to the compassion of God? How do you respond to to God's compassion? Is it something that, that you've embraced yourself and you quickly want others to experience? Or is it something that you've experienced yourself that you only want to keep for yourself? You don't want anyone else to experience the compassion of God, but you want it all to yourself. See, what we're going to see in our passage today is the Lord's compassion exceeds our logic. The Lord's compassion exceeds our logic. As odd as this might sound, this compassion, understanding the compassion of God has been something that the world has struggled with throughout all history. Remember, even think back to the Old Testament. Remember when when God is angry with the world, right? And he destroys the earth in a flood because of, of their sin. And God is compassionate enough to save Noah and his family. And we think to ourselves, man, it's like the fresh restart, the brand new restart of all creation. Now we get a redo. And then the world finds itself going back into the world of sin, the world of rebellion against God. But then God is gracious and he's compassionate to a group of people that he calls the Israelites. God calls a special people out from all the nations and says, I'm gonna show you a special kind of love. I'm gonna be your God and I'm gonna lead you. You will be my people and I will show you a special kind of love. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to forget that God was compassionate on the Israelites so that they would be a blessing to the nations right? God gave them a mission. God gave them special love so that they would be a blessing to the nations. But instead they took that blessing and instead of it being an outward thing, they kept it to themselves. And instead of moving themselves closer to those so that they could experience the compassion of the Lord, they kept the compassion to themselves and they became elitists. They became separated even more and more from the Gentiles. Remember? Right? There, there are two types of people in the world. There are the Jews and there are the Gentiles. And the Jews are special, but the Gentiles are evil and wicked and deserve God's wrath. And even as we see Israel, who is God's chosen people, turn inwardly in their history, they continue to rebel against God. They continue to take advantage of God's loving kindness. And now we come to Jonah. Jonah finds himself in much the same way. He is a recipient of the grace of God, but is unwilling to share God's compassion with others. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we started off, we, we came and we saw that Jonah was a prophet, that he meant that he was called out from God with a special purpose to tell God's message to God's people in God's authority. That was his job. His job was just to go and tell the message of the Lord. And the Lord comes to him and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell the people there that their sin has come up before me. And Jonah, instead of obeying God, defies God. And he says, I will not. And we see that he takes away, instead of going towards Nineveh, he goes down to Tarshish, um, on, on, goes down to Joppa on his way to Tarshish to run from the Lord. And the Lord pursues him. And he allows him, while he's in the belly of this um, Ship, the ship goes through a a time of torrential storms, and the the ship is in danger, and everyone else on the ship is in danger. And so, what they determine is they need to throw Jonah off the ship. And as soon as they throw Jonah off the ship, the storm settles. And as Jonah sinks into the depth of the sea, God spares his life by being swallowed by a fish. And he's in the belly of the fish for three days. And while he's there, he finally comes to his senses and comes, comes to the point of where he begs God for forgiveness. And God spits him up on dry ground. Uh, Then he goes directly to Nineveh and he cries out 40 days and God's gonna overthrow you because of your sin. And what what happens then? The people of Nineveh, they repent. They repent and they turn back to the Lord and they, they give sacrifices to the Lord and they say that they're sorry. But now Jonah's at a place where he has just gone into the city. He said what God wanted him to do. Now he goes east to the city. He's outside the city. And it's almost as though he's he's waiting there. I imagine him kind of on a hillside, looking at the city, hoping the destruction of the Lord is going to come down on the city, hoping that these people, these Ninevites, will receive the justice that they deserve. And we see here in verse 10, and when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do on them, and he did not do it. And then verse 1, we see the heart of Jonah. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. My, My question I want us to wrestle with to start this morning is are you angry with God's compassion? Now, I don't want you to simply dismiss that question as like, hey, I'm not an angry person. I'm not angry at God's compassion. I want us to really wrestle with this. So this is not just a surface question that you're like, not a problem, check, let's move on. Because I really believe that in our hearts, it's possible for us to be angry at God's compassion. It's it's possible for us to withhold ourselves from God's compassion that he wants for other people. Remember, Jonah is greatly displeased with God's actions. He is ticked off with God that he would save the Ninevites. Remember, the Ninevites were brutal people. They were brutal people that celebrated brutality as they conquered other people. You can read stories of how they would dismember and disfigure people, and they would cause their, the fear of themselves among the nations because of their brutality. And Jonah knows of their brutality and he wants them to receive God's judgment. He wants the judgment of God to fall upon them, not God's grace. And so Jonah here is angry and he's pitting himself against God. He's mad because he wants what he wants, not what God wants. So in verse two, we see why really Jonah runs off to Tarshish. He says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, o Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee Tarshish. He says, I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to Nineveh because I knew who you were. And then we see in the second part, we know who God is. He says, for I knew you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah wasn't afraid of going to Nineveh because he knew it would be hard. He wasn't afraid because he might be persecuted, that he might suffer. He didn't want to go because he knew who God was. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was loving, that knew that he was full of steadfast love, relenting from disaster. But Jonah does not want these pagan people to receive the forgiveness of God. He wants great harm to come to these people. What's crazy to me is that throughout this whole story, this this whole account of Jonah, what we see is Jonah continually receiving the mercy from the Lord. Right, every single step, every time, it's like almost every paragraph we see the mercy of the Lord. Right, Jonah gets the message of the Lord, and, and the Lord says, "Now go and tell, go to, uh, go to Nineveh and tell them." And he says, "I will not," and God's mercy steps in, because he should have, as a prophet, been destroyed right away. But God is merciful in Jonah's life. He's merciful to allow him to travel down to Joppa and to get on the boat. God's mercy is there. God's mercy is there to spare his life from the boat. And God's mercy is there as he gets swallowed by a fish. And God's mercy is there as he gets spit out on dry ground. And God's mercy is there when he goes in to Nineveh and begins to speak. And God's mercy is there. Do you see God's mercy? God's mercy is literally covering every step of Jonah's life. But yet, Jonah doesn't want anyone else to receive God's mercy. Jonah wanted to determine who received God's mercy. Jonah didn't want God to determine who received his own mercy. Do you find yourself getting angry at people? Like right now, if I, if I were to say, who in your mind makes you angry? Is it the neighbor that parks his car in front of your house instead of his own? Is it the coworker that you kind of have this hate-hate relationship with that gets, the, that, that gets the promotion before you? Parent, is it the, is it? do you, you find yourself being angry as a, as a parent at maybe like a, let's say, a, a transgender athlete that is born a male but is competing as a female and ends up beating your daughter in a race or gets the scholarship instead of your child? Or, or let's get a little closer home. If I were to show you some politician faces, right, would that begin to start rage in your heart? Or maybe talk show hosts. You know, is it possible that there's real hate in our heart towards other people? Like, is there a list? Maybe it's, maybe it's an unconscious list and maybe we need to actually make the list today. Are there people like in your spheres of life that you wish harm to come? I bet there are. I bet there are people in your own life that you wish harm. Because somehow in your own mind, like you understand that there are sinners and then there are sinners. Like there's, like you could be a sinner out there, like, but just don't be a sinner in my, if you bring your sin into my life, then you've just become the evil one. You have just become the enemy. You have just become the vile one, right? Are there people like that in your life? When our mind travels down this road, it always reveals the same truth that we've lost our own sense of our own depravity. Right? We've lost the sense that we are wicked in our own hearts, and it's only because of the mercy of the Lord that we have found his grace. I mean, we see the depth of Jonah's heart in verse Verse 3. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Like, we, can, we as bystanders can, can look at this story and be like, really, Jonah? Is it, is it really that bad? Like, like, God being gracious to 120,000 people, like, that's a good thing, Right? No, Jonah's like, I'd rather die. And this is not like a euphemism. This is not just, he's not just over speaking. This is his heart. Jonah is like, God, I hate you because you are showing compassion on these people. Take my life. My life is not worth living. If I see these people get your grace, these people do not deserve your grace. They deserve to die. But if you're not gonna kill them, then take my life. No, nope. God extends the same compassion. God is a compassionate God. And I hope from the whole book of Jonah, what we can see is that God is a compassionate God. For even in Jonah's response to God, we don't see God scolding him. We don't see God pulling out his big, big God belt and giving him a whooping. We don't see God doing any of that to Jonah. He just asks him the simple question in verse four He says, Do you do well to be angry? Don't, don't, don't forget, Jonah. Like, you've been the recipient of much, much mercy. Do you do well to be angry? Like, who, who, who are you, Jonah? Did, did you make the sea? Did, did you create life? Do you have the right to determine what's good and what's bad, what's right and what's wrong? See, the problem is not with God, the problem in this situation is not with the Ninevites. The problem is not with the powerfulness of the message of God. The problem is in the evilness of Jonah's own heart. That's the problem. Is that Jonah has a deep, deep, dark side about him that's now coming out into the light. He has a deep hate for people. let me remind you why this is so desperately dangerous. Remember, everyone that God gives the breath of life is made in the image of God. That, That means everyone that has been given life is equal in value and worth in the sight of God. And for someone like Jonah to look at a people... And to have hatred towards them, to have anger towards them, to wish that they were wiped off the face of the earth is a slap in the face of Almighty God. To devalue someone because of their evilness and their wickedness, to say that they should be outside of the grace of God is a truly wicked thing. And so what Jonah needs to do in his heart is to repent. Is to turn from this wicked heart and turn back to the Lord. For the Lord is compassionate. The Lord is gracious. How do we respond to God's compassion? If we're honest, sometimes we respond in anger. That we don't want God to be compassionate about some people, we want some people to get what they deserve. And yet, God is gracious. The second question I want us to see today is, have you accepted your equal need of God's grace? What I love, what the storyteller does here in the book of Jonah is, he goes through verses uh, one through four, and then as a good storyteller, what he does is verse five through 11, he kind of does a flashback, right? So verses one through four was like an overview of the account of what has transpired Um, but then what we see is he goes back in time and gives us a little bit more detail because he wants us to end at verse 11 with the strong, powerful punch of this text. Okay, so he goes back and and gives us kind of this flashback. So in verse 5, it says, So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east and made a booth for himself. Then he sat there under in the shade till till he should see what would become of the great city. So this is what Jonah's doing, right? So Jonah has gone into the city. He's done the message of what he's supposed to do. And then he comes out of the city. He comes east of the city. And he's sitting out, as I said, I imagine him on kind of a hill overlooking the city, hoping that he's going to see a reenactment of Sodom and Gomorrah. He's hoping that he's going to see, like, fire come down from heaven. And he's going to see the city destroyed. And as he waits there, the city is not being destroyed. As he waits, the city doesn't get destroyed. And as he waits, the city doesn't get destroyed. And so then what does he do? As he's sitting there, he makes a booth for himself. Now, this booth is, is, is just a um, it, it's some sort of makeshift shelter that he makes. And we see that he's, he's not very a very good prophet, and we also see he's not very good carpenter because his carp- his skills are lacking, because even the booth that he makes for himself that's supposed to provide comfort doesn't even provide comfort for himself. So he goes out there, he sits in the shade till he should see what happens to the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceeding glad because of the plant. Now look at the grace and mercy of the Lord. Jonah goes out there hoping to see the destruction of the city. He makes his own shelter And his shelter is inadequate, and so what does God do? He makes a plant. He appoints a plant to come and give him shade. And there, Jonah is well pleased. He's at a place where he's comfortable. He's at a place where he's safe. He's at a place where he's secure. And God has done everything for him, everything that he needs to make his life comfortable. And then something changes. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it was withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was, made him faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry at the plant? And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in the night. And should I not pity pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? What we see here is God is appointing a lot of things to take place. God is actively involved in Jonah's life. God appointed the plant to give him comfort. God appointed the worm to come and destroy. And God appointed the, the wind and the heat and all of that to bring discomfort to Jonah's life so that he could use this as an opportunity to give Jonah an opportunity to see that his value of life and his value of things are way skewed. Right? Jonah gets to the point of where he mourns the plant more than he mourns the lives of 120,000 people. What a messed up value system. Do, do you see how bad of a value system that is? Right. God is gracious in Jonah's life and he is expre- experiencing this wonderful grace and mercy of the Lord and through the refreshment of the plant and the plant dies and he is, he's ticked off. He's so angry at the Lord, and the Lord is like, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? He's arguing here from from the lesser to the greater, right? So he's saying, like, you get easily ticked off about this this plant that, like, made you comfortable. And yet, you can't see the amazing amazing amount of grace to save 120,000 people. Wow, what a mirror to the soul of men. How many times in our own lives, in your life and in my life, do I wish, do do I want to die because a a, a small thing was taken from my life when in reality what's at stake are the souls of 120,000 people. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we live life like this where all we can see are our own hands, where all we can see are our own needs and the own problems of our own hands and the own problems of our own lives. Instead, what God wants us to do is open our hands so that we see through them, so that we see a sea of people. God doesn't want to just save you to save you, but God has saved you. He's given you mercy. He's given you compassion. He's given you loving kindness. He's withheld his wrath from you because he loves you, but also because he wants to use you in the lives of so many others. As we look at this passage today, I I think there are really two points of application. Two points of application. One, the first point of application, is that this biblical account should let you know that no matter what you've done, no matter who, you, no matter how much sin you've sinned in your life, you're not beyond the grace of God. This is a truth for all of you this morning. This is the truth for all of us this morning. None of us are beyond the grace of God. If God can save the Ninevites, God can save you. And how do we know God can save you? Because of Jesus. See, Jesus becomes the way in which we can experience the grace and mercy of the Lord. His compassion for us is seen in Christ. For Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man, came to live on this earth. And as he came to live on this earth, he came with the mission to obey God the Father the whole time. And so every single step of Jesus' life, he obeys God the Father every single day. But Jesus came with a purpose to be a sacrifice for sin. And the Bible tells us that Jesus went to a cross because sin has to be punished. The Bible tells us that all of the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. Your sin, my sin, my guilt, my shame, your guilt, your shame was placed on Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus endured the wrath of God and Jesus died. But God saw that a sacrifice was enough, that he raised him from the dead, and now Jesus is alive. Jesus has done the work to bring peace between a sinful man and a holy God. All we need to do is believe in Jesus. If we put our personal faith and trust in the work of Jesus, then his work on the cross becomes our work. His righteousness becomes our righteousness, and we have peace with God. God's compassion on you and God's love on you is shown through Christ, and we experience it through faith. That's one. The second application point is this question Do you really care for people? Do you really care for people? I, I, I'm not talking about like the people that are in your circle. Of course you care for your children. Of course you care for your family. Of course you care for those people. But, but what I want to ask you is, do you truly care for people? Or do you in your mind have people that you care for and those that you don't care for? Have you segregated people in your your mind and in your heart? Like, these people, I will express to them the compassion and love of the Lord and I will extend the mercy, but these people, I will not. Whoever these people are, we all have a different definition of who these people are. But do you really care for these people? Or have you positioned yourself in such a way that you distance yourself so much from these people that you've almost lost an opportunity to show the kindness and love and compassion towards these people. Maybe maybe you've forgotten that every single day each one of us come in contact with hordes and hordes and hordes of people that Jesus loves And maybe you have allowed life to give you blinders that like all you care about in life is getting your job done, your task done so that your family can be okay, so that you guys can be in a place of security. You just like Jonah have spent the time just building up your rickety little booth so that you can be in a place of safety, security and be like shaded from the scorching sun. Maybe that's what your life's been about. And in essence, you're doing that so that you can kind of sit back and watch the rest of the world burn. Let me remind you, we are not called to sit on the sidelines. If you've got those blinders on in your life where you no longer see people, repent of that this morning. Repent of that this morning because God has given you breath, God has given you life, and God has given you a great mission. The mission is not to sit in the back, back seat, hiding away, experiencing the grace and mercy of God, all to yourself no, we're to be out there on the front lines, reminding people that God loves them and God cares for them and has abounding, steadfast love for them. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning I pray that if you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's your response today. But maybe your response today is that while you've been listening to the word today, conviction has come over your heart and you know who they are. Whoever they are, I pray today that you would beg God for forgiveness for your hatred towards they. And then you would ask God to move you in position just like he did Jonah. God, move me to the center of they so that I might show them your love. That's a bold prayer. That is a bold prayer that I pray some of us are bold enough to pray today. God, put me in the middle of they. Let's pray together, Father. Father. We thank you that you love us. Father, that there is no end to your mercy and grace. That, Father, you are a compassionate God that is full of loving kindness towards us. And, Father, I pray today that everyone in this place has been a recipient of that grace, that we have come to the foot of Jesus and we have believed in him as our Lord and Savior. For Father, we are assured that when we do, our sins are forgiven. We are made right. We have life. We are a child of God. We have you as our father. And we also have the promise of an inheritance to come. So Father, we thank you of your grace. We could speak, sing of your grace and your love forever and ever and ever and ever. But Father, also we come realizing that your word is not only there to show us how much you love us, but Father, that sometimes we come to your word and it shows us how out of step our hearts have become with your desire for us. So Father today I pray, if there is hatred in our heart, towards other people, bring it to our forefront, God. Father, if there's hatred towards a neighbor, hatred towards a coworker, hatred towards someone in our life. Father, make us uncomfortable with that. And Father, I pray that repentance would be on our hearts and that you would move us now right into the middle. Of the mess. And as you move us into the middle, Father, help remind us that all we are there to do is we're in the middle is to share your love. Father, that we are sinful, but that you have made a way through Jesus, and that Jesus is the answer. Father, you've given us life, you've given us breath. You've given us salvation. May our response, Father, be fully surrendered lives of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.